The Holy Gospel according to St. John. Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn, but the world will rejoice. You will have pain, but your pain will turn into joy. When a woman is in labor, she has pain because her hour has come. But when her child is born, she no longer remembers the anguish because of the joy of having brought a human being into the world. So you have pain now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. On that day you will ask nothing of me, for very truly I tell you, if you ask anything of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, so that your joy will be complete. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures, but will tell you plainly of the Father. That day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world. Again, I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, yes, yes, now you are speaking plainly, not in any figure of speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need to have anyone question you. By this we believe that you came from God. Jesus answered them, do you now believe? The hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to his home, and you will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. I've said this to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world you face persecution. But take courage. I have conquered the world. The Gospel of the Lord. All right, you may be seated. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from his Son, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I, in my day job, as many of you know, I work as a chaplain over at Nathan Adelson Hospice, and I got my real introduction to how brutal the work is when I found myself caring for a 19-year-old young man who was dying of throat cancer. He had a tremendous family. And I got to know not only him, but I got to know his family. And we were able to put together a very meaningful memorial service for him with so many of his friends who were gathered together. And in the midst of that pain, I was just at the barbecue that the family had afterward. And I was so thankful that in the midst of a difficult situation, some good was able to come. This family was able to get support. And I watched young people taking care of each other in the wake of a loss, starting with his siblings and then with so many of his friends. But then it was not less than a week later, I got a phone call from his mom that this young man's fiance had checked into a hotel and had taken her own life. So the wounds that were healing had been reopened. I've dealt with suicide many times before in my life. This one 
was really a education for me because she had been the one to help plan the service, to make sure everybody had what they needed and who I thought was doing so well because she was so loving and so dedicated and so thankful. Uh, she was the last person that I was concerned about. And I remember in the midst of that, the family had asked me to do this memorial service again. And I sat in their living room again. And I still remember her father looking at me and saying, I've been a man of faith my whole life. And I'm praying for answers. And I'm not getting them right now. That has stuck with me as few things have stuck with me in my career in ministry. And I didn't even <clears throat> I didn't even have children yet, so now I can only imagine the depth of his pain. Asking. I don't know if he was asking me. I was smart enough not to try and respond. Uh, but asking, where are these answers? Why is God so silent? And I think that's a good impulse that we have sometimes. In the midst of the things that we suffer in the world, we ask, why are these things going on? That why question is incredibly important. Uh, I'm sure that our ancestors went, oh, uh, why did Erg die? Erg ate berries from that bush. They must be bad to eat, right? Asking why is a wonderful survival mechanism for our species. Unfortunately, not all of the suffering that we experience in this life is as natural and predictable as the kinds of food to avoid or the kind of mastodons that maybe you shouldn't go after with your club. The suffering that we face in life sometimes is so random, so chaotic, so jaw-dropping that we really feel that we are at a loss. And I think that is the experience of looking at the world we're living in, or put more simply, that is the experience sometimes of watching the news and shaking our heads, wondering why the kinds of things that happen, happen. Now, preachers in this age have gotten really good at going through the litany of terrible things that we face. I mean, historically, uh, probably a lot better than even 100 years ago in terms of disease, uh, but yet... No matter how far we've come technologically, uh, spiritually, the human race really hasn't improved a whole lot. And I could probably give another sermon on technologically what, <laughs> what is happening to us spiritually, but that's another sermon. I've learned in the midst of people telling me I want answers. I learned, as I did from that first day, that to try and answer these questions is a futile endeavor. I took a class in philosophy of religion in 
college, and, and we were talking about the problem of evil, and uh, one young lady I went to uh, college with who was a very, very devout Christian said, well, I think the reason that God permits so much suffering is that when we get to heaven, we'll finally appreciate it. And the professor had obviously heard this before and had a great answer. He said, if parents book a Walt Disney vacation and then lock their kids in the closet for a month, feeding them bread and water, you don't call them good parents, you call the police. (laughs) So our explanations sometimes fall flat in terms of the things that we suffer. And I've started to tell people as they ask me, what good reason is there for my loved one to be dying of cancer right now? I say, if I were to tell you a reason, would you like it? If an angel from heaven were to tell you a reason, would you like it? And usually we are able to kind of go down another path. It's really interesting here that the history of religion so often has discouraged questions. When we are, we are told in this story that the disciples in the midst of hearing all the things that Jesus has to tell them as Jesus is going to face his own suffering, they say, hey, we get it now, Jesus. We finally understand what you're talking about. This is great. We don't have to question you anymore. And Jesus doesn't say, oh, finally, the good disciples, finally. You know, teachers, right, this feeling, finally, my kids are getting it. They're learning, right? Jesus does not have this reaction. The reaction Jesus has is, oh, yeah? Hang around till tonight. See how good your answers are going to help you or how well your answers are going to help you. Help me. And we know the story. That as soon as the temple guards show up, as soon as Jesus is arrested, the disciples run like teenagers at a house party when the police show up. Not, a, not enough of a laugh there, but... Miss <laughs> Pat's laughing because she remembers those days. <laughs> right? So the disciples thought they had answers, but, but what they had were not answers, right? We are, I take from this that we, not that we can stop questioning, we must continue to question. But when it comes to the suffering that we face in the world, Jesus is about so much more than giving us answers. As a matter of fact, Jesus begins... By talking about suffering in these terms, you will have suffering. And he doesn't say that there's going to be a point to it. Right? You can always tell false prophets because false prophets are telling you that they have a secret escape hatch out of suffering. Right? You see it when you, when you start flipping the channels And you see those guys saying, if you send me a $100 check, I will pray, and we will unleash a miracle on your family, right? That's the most obvious example of an escape hatch, right? But there are other 
escape hatches that people latch onto in the world? Well, maybe if I have enough money, maybe if I have enough friends on social media, maybe if I just try to be a good enough person, maybe I will have less pain. And Jesus says, sorry, suffering is what you get when you're here. And not only will you have suffering, but the world around you will rejoice while you have it. For those of you who've lost a loved one, or even have been through some kind of trauma, right? when you're suffering and you are walking around and people are just going about their daily business, that is sometimes the worst feeling in the world. And say a prayer if you can for all of the people who've lost loved ones uh, coming up to this holiday weekend who maybe have to go to barbecues or are not going to barbecues this weekend because they don't want to tell the story over and over again, right? Jesus says, in this world, you will have it. There's no getting around it, right? And when Jesus talks about there being suffering in this world, I think we sometimes misunderstand what Jesus means. We are told in this same gospel that the world does not recognize the light that is within it. So the world, or literally the cosmos, that's where we get the word, the cosmos is, the, is the, not the world itself, but it is the forces in the world that cannot comprehend, that push against, that deny and refuse to participate in the goodness of God. So when Jesus says, I've come into the world or I'm going out of the world, he is talking about that constant struggle, that constant battle that he is getting into. And he says that I am in this world because my father loves it. So it's not God so loves the world because God wants to go to Zion National Park where so many people probably are this weekend and look at the beautiful mountains and maybe hike Angel Peak, if Angel's Landing, if that's open. Right? It's not, that's not what God's saying. God's not saying, I, I like nature. God is saying, I love the world. I love the things that are pushing against me. I love the things even that hate me. I love all of it. And I'm going to do something about it. Now, our struggle is that when we hear God saying, I'm going to do something about the world, we kind of think of God kind of as uh, an IT person, right? We've, we talked about this in, in Bible study, right? Uh, you know, God saying, well, have you tried turning the world off and, and turning it on again? Right? We kind of look at God as an IT person. Find the function Find the system that needs to be fixed. Maybe you can reinstall some software, right? We think that God has a technical fix for what we are suffering and what we are dealing with in the world. But God does not offer a technical fix. God offers a physical fix. I told people a lot of times when they're dealing with their grief, that people come to me and they want to talk about architecture. What can I build in my life? What kind of answers can I get so that I am not suffering? I always tell them, unfortunately, 
I can't help you with architecture. What you're being called to do is garden. Gardening is a physical way of relating to the world. Any green thumbs out there? Any wannabe green thumbs? Not that many? And Marissa Marissa stepped away. Uh, so, right, when you garden, you till ground, you plant seeds, you water, you fertilize, you uh, figure out all of the watering equipment in your garage that I can't do, thank God for Marissa, and you wait. It's the toughest thing is to wait. But notice what Jesus says about suffering in the world. He compares going through suffering to a woman in childbirth. I cannot speak about this from experience, and I will not try to. (laughs) But in childbirth, uh, from the perspective of the terrified father, you wait. (laughs) You listen. You pay attention. You listen either to your midwife or to the doctors and nurses, the people who have been there before and who help you through it. And you go through that pain. And it's all worth it. Because at the end, there is new life. And so what Jesus is trying to tell the disciples is I am not going to give you the answer to get around your pain or to short circuit or to delete or to get rid of your pain. I am going to bear your pain in my body so that out of what I do, new life can come. It's a little bit like a story I recently read in a book of essays by Phil Clay, uh, who is a Iraq War veteran, a former Marine, who writes very poignantly about the experience his particular generation has had in war during the 2000s and the early 2010s in the Iraq and Afghanistan conflicts. He's also uh, written a novel called uh, Missionaries, Um, as well about this experience. So Phil Clay, uh, if you're watching, awesome, love your work. Uh, If not, uh, I hope people buy your books and read them. He tells a story that I cannot get out of my head. There was a chaplain in his unit in Iraq, and they uh, were attached to a um, a mass unit, or I don't know if they called it a mass unit, but a medical unit uh, who was there in Iraq who would respond especially in situations where there were civilian casualties. There's suicide bombings, firefights, and they tried really hard to be present for all of the people. Now, uh, my friend Ben is in town getting ready. We'll pray for him, I hope, uh, to start emergency medicine at UMC. And military triage is uh, probably the toughest triage there is. You have to make a judgment right away. Who can be saved? Who can't be saved? Where are we moving people? But this unit and this chaplain wanted to make sure that everybody who suffered had somebody to be there with them when they died. So this chaplain, this Lutheran chaplain, who had five children of his own, found himself in the place of holding the body 
of a young boy who was dying and doing that agonal breathing because he'd been hit by shrapnel. And he held this child. The child died. And he kissed him on the forehead. They started calling him whenever there were children. One three-year-old little girl was so badly disfigured by a bomb blast that even people that worked in military medicine, who had quite literally seen it all, could barely stand the sight of her. He held her as she died as a, another member of the Marines who had a little girl at home the same age, held her hand as, uh, I won't even describe it, but it was gory. And after all of these children, uh, and especially after this little girl, the Seabees, the engineers of the unit, constructed rocking chairs for the chaplain to sit and hold on to children as they passed away. Now, what I was most profoundly struck by in this story is that this chaplain, I uh, he's a Lutheran, by the way, and he wrote how his faith had been profoundly damaged by that experience. He'd not felt any kind of heroics at all because of the violence that he had watched inflicted on children in uh, holding these uh, rocking chairs, it, holding these children in these rocking chairs. I think it's powerful. Because this chaplain gave everything that he was to these children who had no hope, just to be that human presence, just so these children were not alone. He struggled losing everything, even his faith. And so whenever I see suffering in this world, whether it's in Buffalo, Uvalde, Texas, the suffering I witnessed after the Mandalay Bay shooting, uh, or just the daily suffering of, of people passing away from cancer and all sorts of illnesses. I don't look for answers. I think about Jesus sitting in his rocking chair, holding all of us when we have no hope, speaking to us, holding our hand, telling us that we are loved. It costs Jesus everything. But Jesus would be no other place. And when we get to the other side of that suffering, we get to the new life that Jesus is creating. We will look back and be so thankful. And I hate to tell you, because uh, I want to close on that note. But do you know what I said at the funeral for that poor young woman? I said, I know so many of you have been looking for answers. So many of you have asked me if I have any answers. I don't know. But I hope God gives you what is better than answers. Comfort, peace, life, and joy, as Jesus says, that cannot be taken away. That's his victory. Amen.